Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Hello, everybody. We are back with another another WP Tonic Roundtable, and we have a full panel this week. It's going to be interesting, folks. We're going to be talking about some great news stories and also about converting your site visitors into subscribers, something important to all of us. This is episode 235, and it's brought to you by Intelligence WP, a company who can help you make actual sense out of all those Google Analytics numbers you get that really just kind of blog together. So we need some intelligence behind it. And you can get that at intelligencewp.com. I'm going to let our panelists introduce themselves. And I think I'm just going to kind of go Brady Bunch around the circle here <laughs> and uh, start with you, Chris Badgett. All right. Hello, I'm Chris Badgett from Liftrail LMS. And I'm all about creating courses. If we're going to be talking about uh, converting visitors into subscribers, I'm going to talk about how to do that with email courses and free courses. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, Matt Inglot, please tell us about yourself. Yeah, I'm Matt Inglot. I'm the founder of Tilted Pixel, an agency that I've now run for 12 years. And I'm also the host of the Freelance Transformation Podcast. Thank you. And one of our frequent roundtable members, Sally. Hi, I'm Sally Getch. Uh, I run a um, freelance WordPress consulting business called WP Fangirl, and I'm organizer of the East Bay WordPress meetup in Oakland, California. And if Matt has been running an agency for 12 years, he started at the age of 15. <laughs> I'm not quite. That way. Not quite. <laughs> but I did start at like 20 years old, so close. <laughs> Adam, tell us about yourself. I'm Adam Fout. I'm the content writer at Blue Steel Solutions. We're a full-service marketing firm out of Denton, Texas, and we like to talk about B2B lead generation, and especially in the industrial space. So that's what we'll be discussing. Excellent. And that's a nice different take on some of what our, our regular guests are. So that'll be great. Yes. Industrial B2B marketing is riveting, let me tell you. So. <laughs> Lee well, you need to make it riveting for, for, the, uh, for the people you're marketing to. I you do too. my best. <laughs> Hi, I'm Lee. I'm from the WP Innovator podcast and also run a digital agency called Angle Crown. Thank you. And Tom? Uh, my name is Tom Kraken. I've actually run a digital agency for 17 years, um, and but more importantly, we are uh, we've launched a uh, analytics plugin for WordPress called Intelligence. Excellent, thank you. And that's the one we were talking about a little bit earlier. We mm-hmm. may delve into that a little more coming up. Jonathan, would you like to introduce yourself? Even though you're going to hang in the background, go ahead and introduce yourself. Unmute. Oh, hi there, folks. Um, It's Jonathan here from WP Tonic. I'm a little bit suffering from dental problems, and um, so I'm just going to be in the background and let my co-host run things. She can deal with the madness. I'll just be in the background. (laughs) See you later, folks. And yes, so I am his co-host, Kim Schivler. I am a speaker, teacher, and uh, design consultant for Courseware. And we are going to have some fun today. Let's jump into our news stories. We had a few, but I thought we would start with the one on customers you need to fire. (laughs) I bet some of you have some thoughts on this story. Who wants to jump in first? I'd like to say that this does not only apply to people who sell products. I have had uh, service clients that that definitely fall into these uh, categories. So just to you know, survey it if you if you haven't read it, three types of WordPress product customers you should fire and how to fire them, and they fall into the categories of the willfully ignorant, uh, <coughs> aka Will, the belligerent, aka Bell, um, and the extortionist uh, called Xavier, which must be a reference to something that I don't get. Um, <laughs> But uh, it, it includes, you know, descriptions of, of people who 
when you try to provide help really are not accepting help and, and just get to the point where, you know, these people are costing you more than they're more than you're paying you and, and provides um, suggestions uh, <clears throat> for how to deal with them in a, a polite and professional way hmm. uh, and basically gives you templates for uh, responding uh, to these kinds of things. And it, it's clear that most of these are, are sort of emails and support complaints in, in the example. Um, and that, you know, one of the interesting things was if basically, if somebody threats you to, threatens to sue you, fire them immediately. Um, and yes. I don't think anybody's ever actually threatened to sue me, but uh, you know, there, there, there have certainly been a lot of the, uh, you know, I don't know anything. I don't want to know anything. Uh, and, uh, you know, I am not going to follow directions. And the ones who basically say to me, you know, please do it for me. I trust you to do whatever, you know, and, and I'm happy to pay you for it. Those people are not a problem. It's, it's sort of the ones who, who keep complaining a lot about, you know, the things that they... Things they don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> right. And things they don't want to understand. It's kind of like, look, if you get a car... You need to learn how to drive it. You don't have to learn how to build it or, or fix it, but you do need to learn some things about how to drive it. You know, if you get a website, there are some things that you need to know about, you know, how to operate it. Absolutely. Yeah, agreed. It was a, I thought it was a good article for that because sometimes it is important to fire customers who, particularly the belligerent ones or the ones who <laughs> just threaten you, whether it's to sue you or to... Um, or, or to, you know, batter your name across uh, social media or whatever, that kind of thing. So I thought that was very valuable. I, I do have one caveat I felt when I read it, and that was the point that customers who didn't want to look at documentation. Now, I think any of us who've been in IT, you know, we know the <laughs> RTFM, right? You know, we all run around RTFM. But I do have to say on the other side, as a company, you have to make sure that your documentation is written from a customer's perspective perspective, not the engineer's perspective. Because yelling RTFM to a non-technical person when it's <laughs> written in, you know, code, PHP code, that is not going to help them at all. So in that case, it can sometimes be the customer's or the company's problem too, or fault. Yes. And I, I was reading the other day, I was reading several books about design. I think this was from the Inclusive Design uh, Patterns book about how, you know, if it's really hard for somebody to understand how to use your product, this is possibly a, an issue of the way it is designed. And, you know, if you, if, if most of your customers totally get it and one person is objecting, then it's probably about that person. But if everybody is confused with it, you may need to go back and look at the way you've, you've built it to help, if, you know, onboard your, your users. Absolutely. I think that's very true. Uh, any other feedback on that topic or things that how you guys handle customers or difficult customers to to add into that? Yeah, I can jump in on that. Um, I think it's part even more important if you're running a service-based business like an agency. Um, so I'm totally with that article, although a good point about the documentation. But um, if you're running an agency, then what I'd like to add to it is it's even more important to avoid those relationships in the first place. Because if you're selling a product, you don't really get to choose your customers as much. Um, but when you're getting into a relationship with someone where you're going to be working with them for months... Um, you really don't want to have to be in that position where you have to fire a client. I fired clients before and it's come to that. Um, but what I learned over time is if you have a really strong idea of who your ideal client is and you know when to just step away from a potential deal, um, that's so much better. I, I don't think most people are actually malicious. So mm -hmm. I think usually it actually falls on us to make sure that we're accepting the types of clients whose needs we can actually meet. Usually the problem is someone comes in with a set of needs or expectations that are different than what your service really is or what you're prepared to offer. And by not taking the time at the beginning to really figure those out and see if this is a good fit, that's where you're setting yourself up for trouble down the road. And, you know, so the, as always, the best remedy is prevention. 
Here, here. Uh, if if Jackie were here, she would repeat her saying about you know all all of her problems have been problems of discovery. <laughs> yeah, very good. I, so true, Matt. If you can avoid it initially, um, it helps. And particularly those, I think you're right. People aren't malicious, but there are definitely people who are more demanding than you're going to want to work with, right? Um, you know, I don't. I let my clients know when I answer my phone and when I don't. And if you're someone who thinks I should answer the phone at midnight, you are not my target audience. <laughs> That's not it. So thanks. Anybody else before we move on to our next story? I just want to add real quick that I think it's really important for, cult for company culture if you're leading mm -hmm. the organization that uh, if you see a customer or client being abusive to one of your employees, team members, support people, if you don't address that head on, it, it's can severely impact the culture. So you get what you tolerate. At great point. Very, very true. Those of us who have teams, we've got, we have to be the protectors of our teams. Absolutely. All right. Our next one. Uh, yes, we touched on this last week, but we felt this article had some kind of interesting takes on it. And that's the issue we're all going to, I think, be dealing with for a little while is the malicious code that was put into the WordPress plugins that were in the repository and what that does to kind of the trust factors for people. Thoughts? I mean, I'll Anyone? jump in and I'll, I'll jump in and say, I mean, plugins have always been vulnerable to some extent, you know, and that, that it's not like it's anything that's that new. I don't think that one instance of this happening is, is really going to have that profound of an implication outside of the WordPress community. I mean, people, people either know or they don't know that WordPress uses plugins, that plugins, you know, often naturally contain vulnerabilities and that this is one of the ways their sites are going to get hacked and, you know, I don't, I don't think it's going to have that big of an impact long-term. Okay. Sounds good. I see um, Jonathan like reacting to my words back there. I don't know. <laughs> 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 I can't tell if he hates what I said or what I'm talking about. I'm not sure. Folks, if you're not watching the video, today's a day to probably go check out the video because yeah. Jonathan... <laughs> Jonathan may be silent, but he is definitely reactive As still. gesticulating wildly over there. So. Exactly. <laughs> yes, I, think, well, I, I do kind of like the suggestion of like putting a big warning label in, in the, you know, in the, the plugin management page. Although the, the problem with that is that most people are not looking at their plugin management pages yeah. unless they have to do something with their plugins. Um, I just want to say, folks, that uh, I've had some major de dental problems yesterday and today, and I'm totally drugged up on legal pain. <laughs> <laughs> and Kim will tell you what happened last time. Yeah, <laughs> okay, you do <laughs> need to stay quiet, Jonathan. Yes, I, do. <laughs> I definitely do. So, Kim, yes, but, but you also need to promote Dr. Evil so he can come yeah, on as a panelist. Yeah, let's promote him. Dr. Evil. <laughs> yeah, Adam, we're calling you Dr. Evil today because we have two Adams and it just it just fits you so well. No, Dr. Evil is perfectly fine. I actually get called that all the time in the YouTube <laughs> comments of my videos. Hey, you look like Dr. Evil. No offense. Right. <laughs> None taken, of course. Yes. Do we have video for you? Uh, we don't Doc? have video for you, Doctor? Huh, it should. Let me see. I might have something. Yeah. Oh, sorry. That's there better. we go. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, we need to see Dr. Evil. We still need, we still need the white cat, though. We need that so, white cat. So you get why it's Dr. Evil. Yes, absolutely. Okay, excellent. And yes, uh, based on last time Jonathan was on Painkillers, we actually had to take that episode and leave it as a blooper reel. We couldn't actually <laughs> run it because it was so bad. So we're going to let Jonathan stay quiet. Um, all right, so Adam, Dr. Evil, Adam, you came in a little bit late, but we were talking about the uh, malicious code issue and wondered if you had any thoughts on that before we move on. 
Well, yeah, well, I don't know what you guys have been saying about it, but I do think that it's actually a good thing if you're a uh, someone that makes websites for people because you could say, hey, you know, you need me to keep an eye on your website and it's a great reason why. And uh, if, if someone even needed another reason why they should have an expert keeping watch on their website for them. So I think it's also great for Jonathan's business, you know, because that's kind of what he uh, kind of does there, you know, is he's keeping an eye on people's websites. So I think it's uh, fantastic. But it just, it's kind of sad because it just exploit, it just exposes a lot of problems with the way things are done with WordPress, you know, and it's sad, but it is what it is. I mean, how do you keep tabs on what 50,000 plugins or something like that? It's just impossible. So anyways, no, I agree with that completely. I mean, it's more important to just be taking regular basic security measures and having, and if you can't do that on your own, like most of our clients can't having someone who can take care of it for you because these things are just going to continue to crop up. This is only, this is not going to change over time. Agreed. And it's one of the, to me, it's one of the big messages that I try to work with, even though I don't build sites for clients anymore, is that websites are not a one and done deal. Yeah. You don't hire someone and they finish and boom, it's done. Even if you're not blogging uh, on in an ongoing basis, it is still something that has to be maintained, has to be updated. And that's why you either need to keep working with your agency who's built it, or you need to work with someone like WP Tonic. Mm -hmm. Yes, Jonathan, have somebody <laughs> keeping that up for you all the time. Because if you're a business person, you need to work on your business, not on this other stuff. Now, for my hobbyists, it's a little bit different. But they just have to know to maintain it themselves and maybe hire someone who can do a, a check for them. Maybe it's not the kind of thing where they're going to hire someone ongoing because they're just building this for fun but still hire someone that knows what they're doing to check it out for them. Yeah. Well, and a lot of hosting companies will offer, you know, yeah. security scans as mm -hmm. either built into the package or as, as an, as an add on to the, to the package. And so, you know, I get these little updates from site ground every week saying, you know, your site reported clean. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, the, the, it is important to do something like that. And it's, you know, it's really sad that there are people out there and that they, that they took this particular uh, sort of evil genius uh, route to uh, attacking WordPress plugins. But we, uh, <clears throat> you know, it, it's the reality that people have to take precautions. Absolutely. Um, and then our last article, we've, we've actually made it through our, our articles kind of fast today. It was kind of a light week for WordPress news <laughs> this week. I didn't have a lot come across my desk that it was like, oh, we really need to talk about that this week. Uh, but Jonathan did have in here the, the one on the five reasons entrepreneurs should use WordPress. And uh, Lee, I don't know where you went. I know you had some big thoughts on this article, but he seemed to have dropped out. Uh, oh, no. Anybody else have big thoughts on this article? <laughs> I thought it was extremely bland and generic <laughs> and didn't say much about entrepreneurs. Uh, and, and it's sort of like, oh, so did you have a bot write this? Um, and, you know, most of the stuff I see in Torque is, is better than that. Um, Jonathan has literally fallen off his chair laughing. Um, uh, and I wondered if maybe what we'd like to do is come up with five better reasons. <laughs> For entrepreneurs to use WordPress? Yeah. Well, one of their reasons like is it's absolutely safe, which is a bit <laughs> ironic. <laughs> and easy. Yes. And easy. I wanted to scream yeah, at the easy. Oh, yeah, there, there was another article I saw posted on, I think, Manage WP about, you know, five e easy steps to building a WordPress website. And it's like, you know, register your domain name, sign up for your hosting, build your website. Mm. Uh, <laughs> not so much. Um, and, but, you know, we have clients who are entrepreneurs or customers who are, are, are entrepreneurs and we think that WordPress is a good choice for them. So maybe we should, you know, talk a little bit about why and then we can collectively submit a new article to Torque. Mm -hmm. I'll jump in on that. I really believe that um, uh, 
Well, actually, here I'll give a little bit of context. I was thinking this week, why do I use a plugin called Lifter LMS on my website versus Teachable, which you see all these people going and using Teachable? And I'm sure, Chris, that kind of questions comes across your desk regularly, or just the concept of that. Why use this versus this? And I really sat there and I thought, you know what? I just want to own my own platform. I don't want to buy into someone else's platform where I'm stuck with with what they think my website should be able to do, should look like, should be capable of. I really want to have full control over everything myself. I don't want to be held hostage. I want my data to be my data, my visitors to be my visitors. I want full total control. That's one of the biggest things that I think, because I had to think of myself, would it be easier to just use Teachable? Um, for people that are listening that aren't familiar, I use a plugin called Lifter LMS. I have over 5,000 students in these courses on my WordPress website because of this plugin. But would it just be easier to use Teachable? And you know what? It wouldn't be. It, well, I know it wouldn't be <laughs> at all. But, you know, uh, there's additional uh, work involved having it on WordPress. But I own my own platform. I'm in sole control of the destiny of it. So I think that's a huge reason to have full control of your e-commerce shop, all of it. That's great. I also just want to add, in addition to ownership and control, it also is reflected in this panel right here, which is community mm-hmm. and uh, extendability. So using the Lift LMS versus Teachable example, you can't really extend Teachable, but there's tens of thousands of plugins that you could extend your WordPress site that sells courses to do other things. So extendability, it's just amazing what you can configure. There's literally an unlimited number of combinations you can put together to meet some kind of business need or educational need. And that's so important for any business to have that ability because you never know how you're going to grow, when you're going to grow, what you're going to need down the road. And to, to know that you can just if and when necessary, I can add on or even subtract if I need to, that, you know, having that ability just there is so huge. Yeah, absolutely. And there's something to be said just for the scope, the integrativeness, I guess, of everything. And Mm. I just made up a word, but (laughs) you see people over and over trying to, sorry, integrate like 10 different SaaS based services and try to make them all work together so that someone can pay you money, get the membership site access, get an email confirming that they've actually been subscribed, get put into your uh, mailing software and so on and on. And all of that stuff sounds like it should be simple in 2017, but it's actually not. And when you're trying to piece these services together, I'm not saying it's a terrible way to go, but you run into a lot of these issues with actually making these systems talk to each other. Um, And seeing as like my agency, one of the things that we specialize in is dealing with entrepreneurs that have hit that level where they want a very specific experience, not an out-of-a-box membership system. Um, At some point, the only way you can accomplish it is if you have access to that code and can actually build that custom functionality. So to Sally's point, uh, and for Torque Magazine, we just rewrote the five. It's ownership, control, extendability, community, and integratedness. <laughs> Perfect. I think right that, that was wonderful and a great way to wrap it up. Uh, it, also, I'll add one more. It's not just that functionality piece, but it's the branding piece. I am actually working with a client using Thinkific right now and because they did not absolutely didn't want their own and you have to play in their branding space mm-hmm. and what it looks like. And you know what, the way you grow a business, that's an important thought too. Absolutely. So let's take our quick break. And when we come back, we are going to jump right into our main topic on converting site visitors to subscribers. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30 day money back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com just like the podcast 
Welcome back, everybody. I'm here with a very full, very fun WP Roundtable group this week. We've got some new folks, and we've been rewriting articles and doing all kinds of fun stuff. <laughs> now let's get to the real story, which is the how do we convert site visitors to subscribers? And since Dr. Evil has already shared with us what a large following you have in your online course, I'd like to start, ha have you start off on your tips for that conversion. Well, you know, the thing is, is when it comes to capturing someone's information, and there's really nothing new under the sun. It's really just figuring out how you're going to implement the strategies that everyone's already kind of shared in the past. And so for, for me, it's giving something of value, genuine value away when someone is on my content. So, um, by the way, my YouTube channel just hit 30,000 subscribers last week. So uh, what I try to do in all my, thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you. I hear all the applause. We should have an applause <laughs> button on the switch panel, you know, so <laughs> live studio audience. Um, I was, uh, so when I put any piece of content down, whether it be uh, something on my website or a video, I really have to sit there and think, how am I going to get someone from this video onto my website and then how am I gonna get them on my website into give me their information. And for me, it's really just boils down to giving something of value away. And I've given weak things away and strong value propositions. So a weak example is, uh, you guys have might've heard of the storefront theme by WooCommerce. Well, there's a little copyright at the bottom and there's a function you could pop in your website to change that copyright from storefront to something else. So I want to put that as here's my video. Here's how you do it. If you want the code, go to my website, give me your email and here's the code. That's actually the worst way of doing it, by the way, because that's a low value thing. That's a one shot guarantee that someone's going to unsubscribe from your email list. Don't do that. A better example is, sorry, Chris, I keep going back to you. I use Lifter LMS. I created a high quality free training course, five videos, packed with great information and people love that course. It's completely free. Someone signs up for the course, their information gets passed into my email autoresponder service and those guys end up become loyal fans and loyal followers. So it's really creating something of value and everyone has something of value to give. So whenever you're making content, how can you lead them back to this thing of value? Um, uh, I'm assuming we're talking about content marketing here because that's how you're going to get the traffic to your website in the first place. But it's really having something of high quality value um, that will turn them into a loyal uh, fan of yours. And that's what we should all be in the business of is creating loyal fans that will actually share our content um, after they've been on our website. I'm not sure any of the rest of us needs to say anything else, <laughs> except that Adam has made the, the very good point that um, there are no shortcuts in this. You, you no. actually have to like do the work to produce something worthwhile to, you know, not only get people to sign up, but keep them signed up and keep them coming back and, and turn them into customers. Yeah, I think it's worth adding on to what actually is valuable to people because that's an easy mistake to make is to just kind of operate uh, just in your own space and say, hey, this should be valuable to my visitors. Therefore, that's what I'm going to create. So you're creating something that you think they should have versus what they think is valuable. And the big kind of gap here is creating something that actually solves a problem that your audience is highly interested in solving. If they're not interested in solving it, um, it doesn't matter if you think it's objectively valuable, like this is really great information, you're giving them a 200 page ebook uh, on this thing that they should care about. If they're <laughs> not seeing the connection between this 200 page Secrets of the Universe ebook and the problem that they're trying to solve, then they're not actually going to subscribe. So when they get to your offer, the first thing they should be able to see is this is the problem that you're solving for them. This is the solution that you have. And then boom, put in your information and it's yours. So it's 
valuable, but it's got to be something that your audience desperately wants to solve. Right. And, and that's one thing I love that you point that out is a lot of times we, those of us who are content providers, we think we have a solution to the problem, but sometimes they don't even know that they have that problem. Mm-hmm. We have to fully mm-hmm. understand what problem there is in their head or bring them to the recognition that this is their problem and we can solve it. Otherwise, like you said, that was a really good point. If they don't consider it valuable, it doesn't matter how much time or effort or value we actually think we're providing. And you have to be really careful with that because you, if you're really not putting in the research and figuring out what your actual target audience really wants, you may accidentally be targeting someone else and create something that someone you really don't want to work with it finds very valuable. And suddenly you have all these subscribers that you don't want and had no idea how you got them in the first place. And you're like, well, great. I have an email list that's like rotten from the inside because it doesn't have anyone I want to sell to. That's a great point. Agencies make this mistake a lot because they'll go and make an offer that's actually targeted more at their peers, the technicians, Mm -hmm. rather than their ideal clients, like such as how to install this WordPress plugin. Well, the person that's going to pay you good money to install this WordPress plugin doesn't want a tutorial on how to install it. Yeah, they want to solve business problems. Yeah, very good point. And we were actually talking about that in a meeting I was in this morning at the chamber, was how many tech companies sometimes are focused so much on the tech that they're not delivering to their customer what the customer's needs are. It's like all these bells and features and, and everything that the plugin can do but not focus on what it can solve that there that is in their mind. Um, I'd like specifically on the conversion to get those of you guys who are product oriented over service businesses like Tom and Chris, anything you bring to this that might be slightly different than those of us who either do service or pure content uh, as a delivery like Adam, uh, Dr. Evil Adam does. <laughs> Well, one of the uh, one of the things that we like to do, I mean, we do some services side. In fact, a lot of our products came out of the services side. But the pattern um, that we like to see a lot of people do is uh, definitely get some sort of conversion, top of the funnel educational conversion mechanism on your website. Um, and a newsletter is fine, but something more like an ebook, white paper, what have you. And what we like to do is start with one. Um, but then over time, you, you know, you're going to have different audiences, different types of content, different needs that you're generating to attract people. But then when you, when you say, Hey, we've got an audience that's looking at a lot of this content, create content, create a, a premium offer along those lines. And that'll help you understand who actually, you know, what, what are their challenges? And then, you know, can you rotate out uh, CTAs with different headlines, uh, maybe with different sort of um, hooks? to figure out what really are their problems. What's interesting is a lot of times we've been actually able to go the reverse way of that companies a lot of times don't know who their audience is and what their problems are, but we can actually use content, both attraction content and um, uh, educational, educational offers to help figure out what are people really needing um, and then you, know, you leverage looking at that, the engagement we're getting with those different devices. Um, and then obviously if you, uh, can pull people in on a particular subject, then you can send email marketing and so forth that's targeted specifically to their needs. That's really good. Um, I just want to add, and it can work for services and product, is uh, if you do it, the if you create do-it-yourself content, whether that's a course, an ebook, podcast series, um, that's going to help people. But what's going to happen is that a percentage of those people will have the thought in their head, can you just do it for me? Hmm. And, and that's, you've also just positioned yourself as an expert and somebody who knows how to get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, just when thinking about it, you know, if you make content for the do it yourselfer, but just know in the back that there, there's going to be a, can you just do it for me crowd out there? That's a, a good way to kind of approach it in my experience. Absolutely. I've definitely had that happen. I mean, I, I write a fair number of, of tutorials that are kind of aimed at people who want to do it themselves. Although really, I write them for me, frankly, so that I can remember how I did what I did um, because I have a mind like a steel sieve. But I get questions about them. Uh, and I do get people who, who say, here, I tried to do this. It didn't work. You know, can, you, can I pay you to help with it? And I'm starting to learn about how, you know, okay, I, I, 
anybody who asks me this, I need to tell them, you know, I need you, I'm going to need to bill you for at least an hour of diagnosis, you know, and at least an hour of implementation. Because even though it seems like something, you know, it seems when they describe it as if something might be a five minute fix, you get in there and you <laughs> discover, oh, they have one of those themes with, you know, 68 built in plugins and a, a lot of conflicting you know, possibly conflicting scripts and, and this and that. And they've set something up, you know, completely contrary to the way the plugin is supposed to work. And there's all kinds of extra stuff that's going to, going to need to be done to, to make it work. Uh, but, uh, you know, although I think offering things for your ideal client is, is definitely the way to go, you can still find, uh, you know, clients or, or customers uh, based on, uh, offering that that do-it-yourself kind of of information, you but know, you know, I'm, actually, that's oh, sorry to cut you off, okay. uh, my fellow Adam. It's um, okay, my fellow Adam. Please go. I was going to say, those are actually the best leads to have. Uh, for example, my uh, stuff that I'm doing, I'm not doing actual client work, but people ask me, and so I just send those off to a couple people I trust. They love receiving these leads because the the lead is already uh, I've already taught them <laughs> you know I've already taught them to you know use the best stuff and this is what you should use and this is how your website should be built they just need someone they want someone to do it but you don't have to like educate them because your contents already educated them your contents already warmed them up and they already understand so you're not having that um, you know that conflict with clients sometimes where you're trying to talk them out of what's in their mind to do you've already done that with your article your content or whatever uh, it's uh, the, let's just say these the guys I send these leads to, they love them. <laughs> they love them. Easiest deals ever. So. And let's go over to the other Adam now. Jump on in. Oh, I was just going to say that, um, you know, audiences can also change over time. And that's something to consider too. And the business can change over time um, with their relationship to that audience. So you can find yourself where you have this audience that you've built up, but you have changed such that, um, you know, you what you're offering them is no longer what they were looking for originally when they came to you. I mean that, and that's what happened with us is we started with, you know, targeting very small mom and pop shops and built up this large audience with our content um, and it had all these subscribers. And then as we moved into this B2B industrial space, we suddenly found that we had all these subscribers who we no longer had um, services that we could really offer them or, or even work with them. So uh, we looked back at that audience and we said, you know, how can we provide something of value to them still and make use of this audience? Um, and, you know, we sort of uh, came up with some ideas to almost build a separate side of the business where we're providing educational materials and stuff that's not going to be anything our, uh, the service side of our business is going to work with. We're not going to work with those people really. Um, but we can still make content and make use of this list that we have built up over time in these subscribers. And, um, you know, I think it's important for businesses to consider that as well, is that you may have created a lot of content at one point that's drawing a particular audience and your business may have taken another direction. That doesn't mean necessarily that you can't make use of those people or those subscribers you built up and that you just have to kind of, you know, start over or whatever the case may be that, you know, these are these are still valuable people to have around and you can still do things with, with, uh, you know, create content that matters to them. Very good point. Um, Tom, I wanted to come back to something you said, uh, particularly for maybe some of our audience that's a little newer to content marketing. You mentioned education pieces of content and attraction pieces of content. Would you explain kind of how you're thinking about those and how you position them within your own site? Sure. Um, yeah, so I look at, uh, you know, content has different roles. So certain types of content is meant to attract blog posts, wiki pages, what have you. Um, and then you've got certain pieces of content that are meant to convert. Um, and a lot of times the classic inversion is someone fills out a sales inquiry lead or something like that. And so that's really sort of like a sale, a bottom of the funnel offer, sort of a sales ready offer. There's a lot of people that aren't ready to give you their contact information. Um, and so what you want to do is you want to give them some sort of educational piece or a top of the funnel offer, get them into some sort of email uh, nurturing workflow 
um, to see if you can't start dripping some other information and build trust with them. And so um, an educational, and so what we always like to do is, one of the things I find interesting is a lot of people, when they build their blogs, they sort of don't really put a business end to it. It's sort of like, here's our blog, and then maybe over here are some brochure pages about ourselves, and here's a contact form. What we want to do is go, no, we want people to get more engaged. And so one easy way to do that is put some CTAs on your uh, blog post, going to a premium offer, an ebook or white paper, something like that. Other great ways to do it is, you know, start having relevant testimonials, not just a general testimonial, but if you've say got a blog post about security in um, security in WordPress, you've got a case study, you've got an ebook and you've got testimonials. And when people are on blog posts about security, that's what they're seeing, you know, all over on the side that's teasing these other customer journey paths. Sales funnels or lead funnels or capture funnels. Super easy to do in WordPress. You don't need click funnels for 300 bucks a month. <laughs> Very good point. Is there a favorite then that you have for, for setting that up? Is there a favorite structure you have for setting that up? Well, actually, uh, it's so easy these days. You know, I've been on the show before. I talk a lot about the various page builders. Anyone can use any kind of page builder and easily set up an email capture funnel, then send them off to another page and then off to another page and either sell them something or give them more information or try to get something, uh, social share or something out of uh, what, what uh whatever, depending on what you want to do with the funnel. Uh, but it's so easy now to do with any page builder. I think the, uh, one of the best tools for building a sales funnel is a, a pen and a piece of paper. So yeah. um, mm -hmm. there's a, a, an idea that some people haven't heard of yet is just top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, bottom of the funnel. So at the top of the funnel, you have these really small, tight lead magnets like a little checklist or something very small, a two minute video that you have to opt in for. But in the middle, you get into bigger stuff. Like once you've nurtured the relationship, like a, a free course, an email course, a course on your website, a podcast series. And at the bottom, you get into like a really a much more deeper piece of content, like a live webinar. And that's like where the conversion happens. And sometimes people go straight to the webinar, but you know, a lot of times people work their way through the funnel. Excellent. And I wanted to point out just again, if we, if we have new people, Tom mentioned a few times the CTA, that's the call to action. And you really don't have uh, anything unless you are asking people for something. That's your call to action. What do you want them to do? It sounds really basic, but a lot of times people forget that that one critical sales thing is to ask them to do whatever you're looking for them. Or just tell do. them to do it. Just people like <laughs> to be told what to do. It's like, <laughs> click this. You, I promise you'll like it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Tell them what to do. Along those lines then for you guys, and, and um, it sounds like you're testing some of these. How much do you put into A-B testing as you're looking at your conversions, et cetera? As much as I have time for. <laughs> I no, think I that uh, having analytics is more important than the A-B test. At least just know what's working. That's step one, know what's working and and how, and how well. surely that's Tom's cue to step in. Yes, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's a, you know, several different ways of testing. Um, what's interesting is with analytics, you can actually do a style of A-B testing that you can get to different information. I think A-B testing is good. It's really good for like landing pages to understand, you know, the right copy, the right you know, number of fields in a form or something like that to, to get some, to optimize someone to convert. But when you start looking at the entire attract uh, attract, engage, and convert chain, a lot of times doing more robust things with analytics um, helps out a lot. So um, really what I, I normally like to do more is track page attributes. So what topics, what tone did we take? Um, maybe what kind of hook did we use or something like that? And then see how those hooks work across multiple different posts um, to get people converting. Um, and so it, it's, it's a little bit, I almost really have to show kind of like visually how all that, how that kind of comes together. Um, a little hard to describe just in words, but, um, but I think, you know, that's the key thing. Like what, what, what we always like to do is um, not, you know, it's interesting right out of the box, people have categories and tags in WordPress, but you can use alt taxonomies for all kinds of things. And I would recommend build out your audience profiles. 
Um, so if you're B2B, maybe what kind of organizations are you going after? What uh, type of role are you going after? Tag all of your content that way. Um, and then also tag your premium offers that way. And, uh, and so always be thinking about this is who I'm writing for and here's, I wanna move them through this chain. And you can track all of that in Google Analytics. Um, and so, and then, and then you can see, you know, hey, maybe we've got this audience over here and we need to build new conversion mechanisms for here because we're seeing a difference in performance um, for content and conversion mechanisms that are built for this particular audience. I think that's really great. Like you're really trying to find the data uh, or trying to find in the data the stuff that's really working, extracted, and, and then it sounds like do more of it. Yeah, I think that's so important too because it, you know, we all have limited time and you can dig into analytics until, you know, the cows come home and you might not even be looking at the right numbers to know what you're trying to find or what's going what's gonna to help you or worse, you find some metric that you become obsessed with and you're, and you're trying so hard to figure out what's going on there and the really important stuff you're being missed. So being able to, you know, stuff like what intelligence does, being able to, to know very clearly this is what's important, this is what you need to focus on uh, is so valuable. There's also a qualitative piece, uh, like if you're talking to a customer, you just ask them, how'd you hear about us? Or ask your customers, why did you, why did you decide to, to buy with us? And one of the things that I recommend doing which is something that doesn't scale for a product company is I, I have a way for people to schedule a 15 minute call with me and it can't be any time. There's only a certain amount of time during a week that I do those, but I have a feedback loop and I'm listening. How did, and I'm always asking, how'd you hear about us? Or, or they'll just say it. I heard you on a podcast or mm -hmm. I saw this on your site and I did that pushed me over the edge and I decided to go with you or whatever. So just talking to people is also very helpful. Absolutely. I think that's yeah. a really good point because sometimes we get, sometimes people in this space get so wrapped up in the online piece and the passive piece and the, the automation piece that they forget that there's a real person at the other end. Mm -hmm. And when we have real connections, a lot of times we can move further than just through some of these automated options. Yeah. And getting those, I forget who mentioned, someone mentioned the persona making your customer, it might've been Sally, making your customer personas um, and really mapping out who these people are. And I mean, that's so important because it's so easy to get lost in, as someone mentioned earlier, what you think is valuable, what you think, you know, the customer's going to need and to, and having those personas, even if you just have it on your computer somewhere um, that you can just look at every now and then helps to remind you, Oh yeah these are those real people there that I'm, that I'm creating this content for. I need to keep in mind what they want, what they need and, and um, you know, how I can help them. Something that's been really effective for me to figure that stuff out. Um, when someone joins my email list on freelance transformation, after they get their opt-in, like their, their first email, a couple hours later, they get another email and it's very short, just, asking them to confirm that they got their lead magnet and by the way what's their biggest struggle and i get a ton of people responding to that and when someone responds i could always like dig deeper and then respond back and say why is this your big struggle and some of that can then be turned into phone calls if you know it seems like someone that i really want to talk to and learn more about their struggles that's a really good point also if you start having a lot of those come in and they're the same. It starts pointing you to new things to develop. Yeah. I get a lot of my things. Oh, I need to, I need to hit on this because I've had seven people email me this week that they're having a problem with it. Um, Adam, with the YouTube channel, you mentioned <laughs> trying to get your YouTube audience from YouTube to the website and then, you know, mm. into your actual funnel, into that class. Is there a trick or, or what is your strategy for getting them from YouTube to the website? That seems like a big jump for people sometimes. It is, and it could actually be a dangerous jump, to be honest, uh, <laughs> depending on what your goal is, um, because um, YouTube has a metric called session time, and that's if you're taking someone off of YouTube to your website, they don't like that. They want you to take them from your video to another one of your videos or to someone else's video and they measured the entire session. 
Um, uh, so it's actually on the dangerous side. And also the challenge is in, if you've ever watched one of my videos, I'm asking you to do like a dozen different things, right? I tell you what the video is about. Then I'm saying, I want you to subscribe or consider. Then I want you to click this cute little bell off to the side of that. So there's, there's two things I've already asked you to do. And then it's like, when do I then drop the information of go and do this? Now, I find the best way that I've experienced is if I have an additional resource that they can go to my website and get access to. So um, whether it be a snippet of code or a child customized child theme or something like that, something where they want this and they're going to go and seek that sucker out no matter what. Um, and even with the free course offer that I have, that has worked really, really well. Actually, I'll check my stats of how many students are in there in a second. I'll I'll uh, share that with you guys just so you can get an idea of how well it's actually worked. And I get these notifications. What's really nice is I get these notifications that someone's actually completed the course. So then I can further contact them about whatever XYZ that I'd want to do. So, and also, um, it's Tom, right? Yeah, I'm new to here. Tom. Marketing automation, uh, people really, you really got to track everything everybody does on your website through a marketing automation platform. These are, be that's becoming like a must these days is having some kind of marketing automation. Every email platform's adding it. I've been using it for a year and a half. If you've been to my website on a few pages, I could see what pages you went to, how long you were on it, how many emails you opened, how many times you looked at the email, and I can make decisions based upon that information. And so these are becoming things that you must do personalization on your website. I don't know if you're doing that much yet, Tom, for, 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 for yourself or people that you're working with, but uh, these things are becoming key. So anyways, to answer your question, you got to offer something so valuable that they're willing to go do it. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think we could just keep coming back to value, 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 and that's so important. So Tom, being that Adam just talked about a little bit about knowing exactly where people are on pages, et cetera, that is something that if you're trying to dig through everything Google gets you can be very complex. Tell us a little bit about, so you have Intelligence WP that, that actually does some of that for you. Give us a few highlights of how that would ease the pain of us trying to do it on our own, because I pull my hair out sometimes with my <laughs> analytics. Right, right. Well, the, the, probably the first thing is that, um, you know, Google Analytics is sort of this maze of vanity metrics. Um, and you can go, and what you really need to do is, you know, measures page hits, and you get kind of like some numbers around time on site, but ultimately you don't really, it doesn't really measure with a default installation um, uh, what is meaningful to the website? What are you actually trying to accomplish? And, and I always look at it as like, you know, the organizational objectives are sort of these conversions, these big things we want to do, getting people to join our, our email list and so forth. But in order to do that, we've got to attract visitors. We've got to engage them and build trust to get them to that point. And so we want to see, we want to measure any sort of meaningful interaction on our website. And so that's what intelligence does. Like not are people hitting pages, are they actually reading the content? Are they watching videos? How deep are they watching those videos? Are they commenting? Are they sharing? Um, are they clicking on important things that, that you know, we CTAs and so forth that we want them to click on? And, um, and so now once you do that, now you're measuring more meaningful things, but you have the problem that you still have got a ton of reports. Mm -hmm. So what we like to do is weight uh, all those different things. You sort of assign point values to different things. So someone, for example, downloading your ebook and joining your list, that might be worth 100 points. And someone sharing a post might be worth 10. Um, you know, just a visitor coming to the website might be worth, you know, a tenth of a point, something like that. And what we can do is we can then create a single KPI that kind of represents the value of all these little meaningful interactions that we want. And then we can associate those back to the entire website. We can associate back to each piece of content, um, each, each um, type of refer. Um, and even visitors and audiences and different, you know, mobile devices and so forth. So we start to understand where's our value coming from. Um, and then what's nice is we can take things like on content, you can push taxonomies and you can push authors or those kinds of things to start to understand what topics are generating the most, uh, most traction. Or if you kind of uh, 
tag your posts with, with your personas, you can start to understand what personas are you not just getting most people coming to your website, but who are you really engaging and getting to do all those conversion events? And then you start to focus on the ones that you're going to get more value out of. And then, you know, the, then the big part of that is bringing that all back into WordPress. People don't really always go to Google Analytics, so bring that all into WordPress. So they get this sort of single KPI and they get these reports. They'll say, hey, here are my top attraction pieces. Here are my top, you know, different things that are doing things on the website. So I know um, what I should create more of. Excellent. It's so important for us to actually dig in and know what, what we're delivering and who's what, viewing what and et cetera. Uh, thanks, Adam, for letting us know 6,000 students in the free in course. In the free course, yeah. That's amazing. So we've talked a little bit, or we've touched on automation and the importance of automation. What are your tools? What are your favorite go-to tools as you're putting automation into your site? Like, Adam, you mentioned doing some of it with page builders. Um, and we are having another page builder episode coming up, folks. So mm. keep an eye out for that but any other special tools that you guys really find helpful in the automation process and maybe what are you running your email piece on to automate? I'll share. Um, I'm a big fan of a free marketing automation platform. That's kind of in the same vein of WordPress. Uh, they actually want to be the WordPress of marketing automation. It's called Modic. M-A-U-T-I-C. It's a self-host, just like WordPress. It's self-hosted full email marketing and uh, marketing automation platform, website personalization. I even have a tutorial. It's old. I'm going to update it. It's from last year on how to install it on your own self-hosted hosting platform service or whatever. And then what you do is you connect that into a, what's called a transactional email provider like Amazon SES, or there's dozens of them out there. But there's also paid tools as well. Uh, however, Modic works fantastic. If you're a little, little able to be a little technical, uh, it's fantastic. Awesome. Uh, just to lay out the tools that I use, I use uh, Active Campaign, Opt-in Monster. I use Beaver Builder for building landing pages. I use Calendly for scheduling in an automated way those 15-minute calls with me, which happen through Zoom. It's fully automated. And... Yeah, that's about it. Those are the key pieces. We use the exact same tools. <laughs> I've personally fallen in love with Drip. Um, I just feel like there's a lot that you get out of a box. It tells you so much about your subscribers. And ever since they introduced that workflow feature, it just feels like the tool is always capable of so much more than I'm capable of actually implementing and have the time to set up. So I never feel restricted with it, which is great. I can tag my subscribers with insane amounts of data, which I love. Uh, and I'm also a big fan of Calendly. So I guess I'll third that recommendation. If you need to, if you need people to schedule anything like those calls, um, you can also use it for sales leads coming in. Um, it's a great way to automate that. It literally saves me hours every single week. I would say for myself, I hear, I'm not using them right now, although I'm looking at both of them. Active Campaign and Drip are the two I hear recommended the most right now when I'm out working with people. So I think you guys have probably done a good job. Anybody else using anything else? I can't even get it together enough to send a regular uh, you know, email via MailChimp. Uh, so at, at, at present, the, the tools would be wasted on me because I, you know, I wouldn't be with it enough to, to make use of them. You haven't gotten to the workflow piece yet. Uh, no, no, it's, it, it's uh, <laughs> just, uh, yeah, the, 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 time and, the, the time and energy thing. It's sort of like, yes, I've seen this works. I know I should do it. Uh, you know, the, the round to it has not arrived in the mail yet. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day it will get there. Um, Adam, Dr. Evil Adam, I had another question for you. Since you are running, you're the one person who is running Mautic, which we will get in the show notes, and that is a self-hosted along with your WordPress. Were there implications on that? And if so, what were they for your hosting? Did you have to extend your hosting functionality, having all of that run through your local site? 
Not really, because the emails are not being sent out through your web hosting service. You're using a transactional email service provider, and it's typically via an API. So uh, I use Amazon SES, which is dirt cheap. It's like 10 cents to send a thousand emails. It's like cost nothing, right? And when you get a $10 bill, you're happy. You feel like you did your job. Um, but uh, no, uh, it'll work on uh, especially the, the level of activity that most people get on their websites. It's, it's going to be perfectly fine. But of course, you know, we talk about um, having reliable web hosting uh, like uh, SiteGround or something along those lines or bumping up to uh, like a WP Engine type of deal. However, um, that's WordPress only, obviously. But yeah, you can get away with that. Or another great platform is all these uh, containerized uh, VPSs like uh, what is it? Uh, Digital Ocean. I have Linode. I know I'm probably pronouncing that right. I'm a little technical sometimes, so I don't mind managing my server myself. Linode is like real cheap. Yeah. Uh, Top notch. There are so many tools out there too. You know, I mean, I was just thinking we use so many different things. We use Zapier too um, for a lot of stuff, which is a very simple tool. Um, if this, then that. Uh, we've been using intelligence a lot, Tom's intelligence, um, which has been really great. Um, you know, we have, um, it's so hard to even define sometimes, like when you said marketing automation, it's so hard to even define some of these tools because some of them are, you know, so simple. Some of them are, are so complex, um, you know, but, you know, being able to use that to, um, you know, underpin what you're doing with your content and using it not just as, you know, like you, like some of the tools are for getting or for distribution and getting it out there. Some of the tools are more for like with intelligence, more for the analysis portion, deciding what other pieces of content are, are working and what aren't, um, you know, so it, it's, you know, when WordPress itself is almost an automation tool, you know? Um, so it, it, in a lot of ways and, and a lot of the plugins themselves are. So, you know, I think it's something to, um, to consider that, just generally speaking, we have many types of, of tools available that make what we do faster and better. Um, and I think that's a good way of defining automation. And, that's and what's important is you might be thinking, and I'll make this quick because I know we're, we're probably wrapping this up. Um, you don't have to like say, oh, I'm going to become this marketing automation guru genius yeah. and I'm going to learn every setting. What you need to do is get the tracking started. It's the same thing like with Google Analytics. Um, if, man, that's the most complicated tool there is. <laughs> it's completely free, but you just need to get the tracking started. So with marketing automation, you just drop a, drop a little snippet of code on your website and then who knows, maybe in six months you got some free time. You want to start doing something with all this data that you collected. You got to get the data collection started. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that's what I loved about intelligence is it had a little wizard that walked you through installing it and getting all the pieces in place. It was so easy. So, but yeah, getting that stuff in place is so important and it's generally not the, the uphill battle your mind tells you it is. That's a really good point. And uh, Jonathan had popped in here also that SendGrid is another one of the mail sending services and Zoho has a $35 a month option for their automation tools. So we'll make sure that all of those are put into our show notes. And we will start wrapping it up then. I really appreciate all you guys coming on and sharing this super knowledge with us. We're going to, I'm going to go the opposite way, Brady Bunch around this time, I think. If you will tell us how people can get in touch with you further, Tom. Um, yeah, we're uh, probably the best place to get a hold of me is intelligencewp.com um, is our plugin website. Excellent. Thank you. And Dr. Evil. Oh, that's me. Um, yeah, you can uh, check out my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash WPCrafter, or you can visit me on uh, WPCrafter.com. All my stuff is right there. Great free content. Uh, it's, um, I'm sure you'll get a lot of value out of it. Thank you. Matt? If you're trying to grow your freelancing or your agency, then the best place to find me is freelance, sorry, freelancetransformation.com. Uh, Excellent. And Sally? You can find me at WPFangirl.com or I am at Sally Getch on Twitter and the meetup is EastBayWP.com. 
Excellent. Adam? Uh, BlueSteelSolutions.com. Um, we're on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, Steel has an extra E on it. So it's S-T-E-E-L-E. Thank you for that. And Chris? You can find me at LifterLMS.com. And if you scroll down to the bottom of the website, there's a contact form where you can schedule a 15-minute call if you want to talk to me. <laughs> And then uh, check out our podcast at lmscast.com. Yeah, definitely check that out. We had a big final on that this week, Chris and I did. Jonathan, how can people find you? Oh, thanks, folks. It's been a great panel. Um, <laughs> Kim's done a fantastic job keeping it all flowing. Thanks, Kim. And um, how to get hold of me? Um, quite easy, folks. You can either Twitter me at Jonathan. Uh, at Jonathan Denwood or email me. I do answer my email after a couple of days and that's at Jonathan at wp-tonic.com and I just want to say panel you did a fantastic job and I think um, you provided some real insights in the subject. Absolutely. Uh, I'm Kim Schivler. You can find me on Twitter at Kim Schivler or at kimschivler.com and I, too, want to thank all of the panelists for all of the great information you gave us. Thank you, Intelligence WP, for sponsoring mm. us. We will have another roundtable next Friday. And on Wednesday, Jonathan and I will be interviewing yet another WordPress or business person interested in the online community. I hope to see you all then. Bye. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.